This is ContraZoom, a live in limbo production. This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenal, and once again, I am joined by my newly minted official co-host, Miss Rachel Gordon. Hello, hello. How are you doing today? I'm doing quite well. Good, good. And in other exciting news, other than, you know, being the co-host of ContraZoom with me, which I think is a pretty big deal. Oh, very exciting. Very exciting. <laughs> you are also our new associate film editor. I am at that. You uh, are the expert on all things film, and I will be coming to you for recommendations. How does that sound? Oh, man. I mean, I I always have recommendations to share. (laughs) Good, good. That's exciting. Well, um, it's the start of 2017, and I know every publication has been coming out with their best films of 2016, and everything is all about that and moving towards awards season, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. We are not going to do that. the Oscar? No, not us. Not us. Not now, at least. Nope. In a bit. Um, Maybe closer to the Oscars, but for now, we're gonna we're gonna stray from the from the the crowd a little bit. Um, just because one, I feel there's so many movies I still need to get caught up on that I feel that I've way too many blind spots. Yeah, don't have the knowledge to speak on them. Right. Uh, so we might as well talk about. 2016 still but not necessarily the best films of the year but maybe the best moments uh things that we learned from watching movies this year things that we're excited for for next year things like that looking forward love that yeah um that's not to say live in limbo does not have some sort of a list like this we are going to have our own contra zoom edition of our our best films where it'll be a bit of a round table between you and i and we might have a little uh, some guests and things like that that's still up in the air and undecided but andreas did make a list of the 25 films of 2016 and yeah. the top performances of 2016 yeah. so and they're really like, good yeah so if you're itching for some more 2016 best of talk there's an there's some amazing pieces from him mm-hmm. i'll i'll make sure to link to them in the show notes uh and there's some really good ones i've only seen probably about a third of the movies <laughs> that he has on the list so far with a whole Again, bunch one of, of the big, reasons, big blind spots another reason why we're not doing the best right? yeah <laughs> yeah oh well um that said you know we're gonna talk maybe a bit more about some critically acclaimed movies but i also kind of want to take a bit of a glance at uh some of the top grossing films of 2016 so in order from most grossing in the top 10 to least of the top 10 is finding dory rogue one a star wars story captain america civil war the secret life of pets the jungle book deadpool zootopia batman v superman dawn of justice suicide squad and doctor strange so i guess off the top how many of these have you seen? How many of these have I seen? I have seen, I mean, blasphemy. I actually haven't seen Rogue One yet because I want to see it in theaters. I'm going to accept nothing less. I haven't had an opportunity. I have seen, let's see, one, two, three. I've seen three of these. Wow. How many have you seen? I've seen eight. 
Oh, man. Wow, you have me so beat. <laughs> uh, a little bit, yeah. The only ones I haven't seen are The Secret Life of Pets, a movie I completely forgot about, and I'm shocked that is the fourth highest grossing movie of the year. And Doctor Strange, only because I just didn't get a chance to see it yeah. yet. Yeah. Uh, but, like, of the ones that you have seen, or even even looking at the list as a whole, what do you? Yeah. What, what are your thoughts, really, on what the movie going public is paying to see? Well, a couple things are popping out at me. Now, first off, when it comes to things I haven't seen. Now, on this list, I have to say, it's not only because what it's not only ones I haven't gotten around to, which are a secret like the pets and Rogue One. There are also some here that I intentionally did not see. One of this one of these examples would be Suicide Squad. So in this list, let's see, we have one, two, three, four, five, five. Half the list have to do in some way with um, the DC or the Marvel universes. So obviously the movie going public is not done, (laughs) not done with superhero narratives. We have been at this for years and there is no, um, no sign of that giving up. And I feel like the difference that we're seeing with the 2016 is that it's becoming more varied. So let's take Suicide Squad. Now I decided not to see this movie. I'm probably going to end up seeing it, when it comes out on DVD, I'm sure that I'm going to sit down and watch it. But I have like a deep abiding love for some of these characters, particularly Harley Quinn. And I don't really love how how her and the Joker's relationship was portrayed in the film. That's my personal opinion. But in any case, that aside, it still was kind of a new take on the superhero film from what we've seen, you know, a little darker, a little grittier. And we're seeing more to do with villains that we haven't examined as much in the past. More so of a departure than that is Deadpool. Obviously a huge deal. I mean, it's number six on the list, beating out Suicide Squad, which was kind of very hyped. You know, kind of Ryan Reynolds' pet project, which was very well known for being the first R-rated, you know, quote-unquote superhero movie. I love Deadpool. Love, love Deadpool. Read the comics for a long time. And I was actually pretty, pretty pleased with how it came across. So we're seeing... You know, more villains. We're seeing R-rated. We're seeing, you know, Doctor Strange. I'd say that's a little varied. We're having some higher-profile actors and actresses like Bandit Cumberbatch. We're having Tilda Swinton. And, well, you know, you have your Robert Downey Jr. and things like that. Um, I feel that Bandit Cumberbatch and Tilda Swinton particularly hold kind of a bit more of, like, a critical acclaim to them, if you know what I mean. A little more kind of gloss to them so them coming into the fold that's kind of showing a different movement so i think that um people are realizing yes the movie going public is still invested in these this this sort of narrative but maybe we need to switch it up a bit maybe we need to try some new things and some new formulas with these stories Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of crazy looking back at like top 10 list from even like 20, 20, 30 years ago and, and seeing things like the year it came out, Two Men and a Baby was the highest grossing movie of the year. No, it wasn't. It was. <laughs> and like, can you even imagine something no, like that being no, the top grossing movie no, of the year anymore? No. No. It, no. It's kind of a shame that uh, of them all, the only ones that I, I'm – not too sure about the origins of uh, Secret Life of Inzootopia. They're all based on uh, established platforms. That is very true. Oh my goodness, you're blowing my mind. I did not even think of that. You're right. Mm-hmm. Every single one, Finding Dory is a uh, sequel, Star Wars, yeah. Marvel, Jungle Book, Jungle Deadpool. Wars. Yeah, 
All wow. of them. And even going on a little bit further down the list, still Fantastic Beasts. Moana isn't. But, you know, Star Wars is back and, and yeah. a whole bunch of them. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's such a shame that the only way to make money is to put out a product that you know will be popular. And it's not yeah. even it's it's unfortunately one of the things where it's not so much the studios just rehashing. It's that movie tickets have co- cost so much that if you're going to go mm-hmm. with your family or even take a date with you, you want to be guaranteed that you're going to like it. And I think that that's a really great point because we hear a lot about, you know, there's no new ideas. We're coming out with all these sequels. We're coming out with all these reinterpretations, which isn't always a bad thing. And I do think it's super interesting because thank you for bringing this up. I did not even think of that. Looking at the top 10 box office list, because it's not like we haven't had fantastic new narratives this year. You know, that's not true at all. I mean, not to get too much into the best of 2016, but we look at things like Moonlight. We look at things that are doing something completely new with the form. There isn't a lack of new ideas, but what people are paying to see, it's exactly like you said, box office prices. So people are going to see with their family. It's like they're, they're betting on the winner, you know? They're not, it's not taking a chance. You're paying money. You want to see something that you know you're going to like. And what better than going with a franchise you know or a story you already know? Mm-hmm. And for the most part, the top 10 films were pretty well received. You know, there's a couple stinkers in here, yeah. uh, mainly being Batman and Suicide Squad. Yes, yes. Other than that, you know, Secret Life of Pets, we are not the target demographic. From what I recall, it did say that, you know, your kids will like it and it it's not young. terrible for the parents to go along with it. Yes. And then Zootopia was definitely more of an adult kids movie than a kids yeah. kids movie. And I like and I like seeing that in the top ten a lot. Zootopia I saw actually. Mm-hmm. And it's great. It's a great movie. It's like some people say accidentally there's some interesting stuff in how they marketed it. But whether intentionally or not, they did some really interesting things with representing intersectionality and feminism in the plot. Like they did some really great stuff in that movie. And it's really hardening for me, being the animation fiend I am, to see a film like that on the list, right? Because there's this huge push that's been happening, I would say mainly in television, but is now crossing over to movies in... um, animation that not parents and kids can enjoy in the way like you'll go see this with your family but genuinely adults will go see this without kids will enjoy it and some kids can also see it and get enjoyment from it and so it's nice to see that represented in the top 10 Mm -hmm. um okay i guess let's move on um i think you know 2016 has some really interesting things going on um I've got a whole bunch of different ideas buzzing around in my head about different maybe trends that I saw repeatedly or certain fads, either good or bad. Um, do you have any thoughts? We can kind of go back and forth on these things because I've got about uh, four or five different things I want to mention. Well, I mean, there's one major one that I would say in terms of more um, films that were given kind of critical acclaim, but were also widely received by audiences. But one of my biggest things is what I'm going to call the hidden fences trend. So if anyone saw the Golden Globes, you will know that two films that won a few awards, well-deserved, were Hidden Figures, which is, you know, the film about the little-known um, NASA uh, brains behind kind of um, the NASA moon landing, um, you know, Catherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughn, and Mary Jackson, who are African-American and most people don't know about. Um, And that was a fantastic film, as well as Fences, which is a reinterpretation of the classic play 
and you have um, Denzel in it, which, you know, everyone loves Denzel. Um, and that also did quite well. And at the Golden Globes, many times, these two films were referred to as hidden fences. I know, I don't know exactly how many times this happened. I know it was more than once. But instead of being hidden figures and fences, respectively, they were called hidden fences. Now, I, throughout the year, what I think we've been seeing is we have been seeing some more representation in film, um, particularly when it comes not just with LGBTQ representation and movies like that, but particularly race representation in major narratives where it's not kind of like you have your token figure. It is a narrative, you know, fully rounded narrative based on underrepresented peoples and so I think we had, you know, we had Fences, we had Moonlight, we had Hidden Figures. But, so, I find that this is good and bad. Obviously, it's good in the way that these are fantastic narratives, fantastic stories, amazing actors and actresses. And it's bad in the way that, you know, are these really being seen as, you know, the great films they are? Or is this still kind of, you know, oh, this is you know, one of those films is one of those representational films. I was so disheartened to see this hidden fences thing at the Golden Globes as though, oh, okay, look, it's like a movie. It's one of those movies, so it must be one and the same. So this year I've seen, on one hand, good re- some solid moves toward representation, and on the other hand, some worrisome themes in the, you know, awards world and public perception where I don't know if they're necessarily being given their fair share of credit as distinct narratives and maybe more so treated like, oh, good job for giving representation. Do you know what I'm talking about, Dakota? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think I kind of have two two things to kind of say about that. Uh, the first, the idea that because they both star predominantly african-american actors in them suddenly means that they are similar in nature that you can yeah. confound the two uh it's they little... and, and they really aren't these two films are very different in yeah and, and i think that's the thing they're completely different fences is yeah. by all accounts a very serious and heavy drama yes. um yes. and hidden figures while it still is a drama it seems to be a lot more light-hearted maybe in the sense mm-hmm. of something like the help where it's a drama yes. but there's quite a bit of comedic breaks in between yes and it's certainly made for wide audience and yeah no mm-hmm. you're right they're so different that confusing them you really can't point to anything aside from the fact people are going okay these are two movies in the public sphere, being made by African Americans, they must be similar. Yeah, and that's a, that's a, that's a little bothersome. And I think I I avoid the Golden Globes like the plague. I despise that entire <laughs> organization, uh, and I hate that people give them more credit than they are due. Yeah, and because it really is about a hundred foreign journalists that work in LA that decide on this and it's basically just uh what celebrities can we get to show up well usually yeah. the hosts are usually pretty good and funny that is the most noteworthy thing that I'll say about it. even though this year really didn't turn out so well for Jimmy Fallon but yes I agree with what you're saying I didn't watch it so I wouldn't know <laughs> <laughs> uh and then my other comment about that to continue is like also look at something like Rogue One where once again you have a, a female yes. lead that's back-to-back Star Wars films with a female lead and then you also have uh a, a cast of Diego Luna who is yeah. uh of Spanish descent I think he's Argentinian uh and then Riz Ahmed who is 
Pakistani British, I believe. Uh, and then you have. It, yeah, people were calling it un American, was the word people used. Two Asian actors in it as well, like yeah. direct from China, not actually like Chinese Americans, like actual Chinese yeah. actors. Um, Donnie Yen, and I can't remember the other actor's name. Um, and so, yeah, it was that was a pretty diverse cast right there. Yeah. And just like, yeah, the fact people were saying, you know, this is un American only because really of the diverse cast is just it's ridiculous at this point honestly and so that's it's kind of there's like the upside of of maybe more of these narratives coming to light and giving respect that they deserve you know that and the downside of this narrative kind of still continuing and looking into 2017 i really do hope that you know the good part of this trend the representation and these narratives being told continues and we don't have more of the bad side, particularly under Trump's influence. Mm -hmm. uh, my first point is really about uh, child acting. Uh, normally, it's pretty easy to dismiss child acting, that they just get the right kid for the right part, and that's about it. But I think there was some really fantastic child acting throughout the year. Uh, some some really notable ones for me is uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. I thought the, the little oh, boy in that was fantastic and hilarious. Amazing. Sing Street, just Actually, all no, the Kids in that. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think his name is Julian Dennison. He's just yeah, he, he was fantastic. But yeah, continue. Yeah, Julian Dennison. He was amazing, and he mm -hmm. he really propped up that whole film. Yeah, he really did. Uh, Sing Street. The entire cast of of all the the young boys and the young girl were really good and had great maturity in that. Uh, the Jungle Book, you know, I think that's a movie where I had some real flaws yeah. with it and problems with it. But uh, uh, the young boy that that's was in it was not a problem. Yeah. Um, and and the young boy from Lion as well. I have not seen that yet. So yeah, um, a smaller yeah, movie called The Fits. Um, oh, you saw The Fits. I haven't seen Fits yet. I really want to see that. She looks fantastic in that. She's really good. It's a it's a movie that once again I, I have a bit of. A bit of issues with i think overall it's a really strong film really well directed and things like that yeah. i'm going to talk more about that in a little bit as well but um and then lastly i know it's not movie but the kids and stranger things Stranger things yeah you you really couldn't go anywhere in 2016 without someone talking about stranger things no and it's and yes it's, it's entirely because of them and not only the four core actors who are much younger but also the um the people, you know, more in kind of like the teens, the older mm -hmm. sister characters, the brother, the brother character, you know, the love interest. Yeah, the the young, the young actors and actresses completely supported, supported that franchise. And they're mm -hmm. the reason people keep coming back for more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So what's your next point that you have? What is my next point? Um, honestly, one of my big ones was, as I said before, the kind of shifts in um, the superhero genre and different genres like that. And I think a lot of it is just kind of taking narratives that could be, you know, these family friendly narratives and skewing them for older audiences. And something that I think is interesting in this trend in and outside of, you know, the superhero genres is my curiosity in who is paying for film. Because I always think of families going to movies, as we were discussing, you know, what do families want to see? And honestly, I always, I often think of people around my age, you know, maybe waiting until they come out on DVD, streaming, maybe not necessarily the most legal ways of accessing it. But I'm seeing more films, more blockbuster films, 
that could be made for families skewing older. And it really makes me question who's paying for the movies because maybe I'm wrong. Maybe more people, you know, maybe more young adults and teenagers are paying to go to the movies than I was aware. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a little bit interesting. Um, yeah, it's not like these superhero movies that are rated R aren't exactly new. The Blade movies were all rated yeah. R when they came out. Uh, yeah. And then it seemed like there was a, a complete tonal shift in the mid-2000s when they realized that uh, it was more for the younger kids. And then we kind of were stuck in that PG limbo, PG-13 yeah. limbo. And then it just seems recently, again, they're willing to try the R because yeah, with Deadpool being so successful. Yeah. yeah, and then they're going to do the new Wolverine movie is going to be rated R as well. Logan, and I'm going to talk about that one later as one okay. of the ones I'm excited to see. But yeah, that looks great. Um, well, I'm, I was going to save this point for last, but you know, I'll bring this up now since you're talking about it. Uh, I think it's interesting that DC films have yet to make a good film. I saw both <laughs> Batman versus Superman and They're Suicide so Squad, and they were terrible. I know They're you haven't awful. seen Suicide Squad yet, but it was terrible. Oh, that, that's the reason I haven't seen it. I have again. I think that they they completely mishandled. Um, Harley Quinn and particularly her relationship with the Joker for all its nuance. Mm -hmm. I just, and in general, it just looked awful to me. It looked so bad. Yeah. Whereas on the other hand, um, l like them or not, Marvel continues to have yeah. pretty much a blemish free streak. Yep. No one is complaining. They have such a solid fan base, unshakable, right? At this point. Yeah. But it's not even just like the people are going out and supporting it because they like they're supporting marvel they're going out because they're good movies like if no, you're not if you're not I a mean. fan of the superhero yeah. genre you'll probably be dismissive and don't like them and, and be sick of the trend but like if you like that style they're they're nailing the casting the direction yeah. the script writing the humor and that's, and that's the thing but i think that i didn't even mean uh, you know marvel or the comics i think at this point at this far in with these movies I would almost compare them to a franchise like Star Wars. Like, the people who like them really like them. And yeah, Marvel has yet to mess up and make them doubt them, right? You haven't had kind of like, you know, to continue the comparison. Like, with the prequels, people were like, well, what are you doing with this franchise? It's just been smooth sailing for Marvel. Mm -hmm. And I think the, one, the, the biggest difference is every single movie that DC has made, you hear that it's been fraught with, producers uh, fighting over the direction they want to take extensive yeah. reshoots uh going back and editing things changing edit endings like, making it more funny less that? funny more serious darker lighter i think it almost seems to me i completely agree i don't understand that and i almost feel like at this point they're just so unsure of themselves that they're just like, what are people going to like, you know? Yeah. And they see a shift and they're like, oh, we have to change it now for what people like. And so I think that whereas you have Marvel, who were kind of the beginning of this resurgence, where they kind of had to find their footing themselves and they didn't have anything to compare to, and now they're solid, DC is now coming in, and they're so desperate to be at that level that they're comparing themselves, then they also want to be different, but they don't want to be too different. Like, I feel like people, executives there, just must be so in their own heads that all they produce is awful film yeah and i think this is going to be a really interesting year for dc because they've got two big movies coming out this year they've got justice league which is their big team up like the avengers and then they also have the wonder woman and like the oh. wonder woman one at least looks a little bit promising but when i watch the trailer for it i'm like i'm sorry this movie was already made it was called captain america first avenger i just i love wonder woman she is such an important character with such a cool history. 
and such deep roots, you know, in feminism. And I just want them to treat it right. And I have so much hope, but very tentative hope because it's DC. With this film, I'm definitely going to see it in theaters. And I just, maybe, maybe Dakota, this will be the film that shows us that they can do something right. Maybe somewhere out there, people are working on this movie and they actually have an idea of what the hell they're doing. Yeah, I like, I'm I'm not sure. that These movies are definitely making money, as we can tell. The, yeah. the two movies last year ended up in the top ten. Yeah. What is if they continue to get slaughtered in the reviews, are they going to give up? As But if they're still making, you know, two top Funny. 10 grossing films a year, are they going to keep doing it despite the fact that literally everyone is hating them? <laughs> That's so true. Like I at hope- this point, we're hate watching. That's we're what we're doing. Watching. Oh, 110%. And I think that's interesting in terms of, I mean, I don't think they're going to stop making movies. But I guess that is worrisome in terms of the quality, right? Because, yeah, we're hate-watching, but like you said, people are spending money to see them. So do they care, right? Is this just like a money-making machine? Oh, no, I'm, I'm feeling so cynical now. Like, th- the problem is, because the intellectual property rights, the way it works, they need to keep making these movies, I think, every six or so years. Otherwise, the the copyright expires and then it's up for grabs and then it becomes a whole mess. So what's going to happen is if it ends up sucking, what they're going to do is just make a different Superman movie and make yeah. a different Batman movie because uh. they're not going to stop because they're, they're such cash cows. Yeah, like all like, the Spider-Man movies. Instead of being, you know, graced with Robert Downey Jr. popping up in, you know, every other Marvel movie and us knowing and loving his character, we're going to get, what, the third Superman in a decade and the seventh Batman in 20 years? Oh, this is so depressing. Like, seriously. No, it's true. Robert Downey Jr. has been playing Iron Man for over 10 years now. Yeah. And he doesn't seem to be stopping. Chris Evans no. isn't going to be stopping. You know, no. Scarlett Johansson, none of them seem to be so interested right. in stepping away. And with them, I mean, that's three great actors and, actor- and an actress playing great characters. But you're right. If DC, you know, if they don't have anything, they're just going to keep not having anything. But they're going to beat the dead horse. Yep. They're just going to keep beating the dead horse. Then watch the money come out. <laughs> All right, what's your next point? Conversation. Let's change the subject. Do you have something happier to talk about? Do I have something happier to talk about? Um. Well, not necessarily happier, but different, and it kind of has to do with movies, and it kind of doesn't. Because something that I've noticed in terms of kind of watchable and like made for wide scale watchability, not like indie films. Um is that more and more, I feel like this year, some of the best, what I would almost say best movies, were Netflix series. You know, were these long, long, long format shows that could easily be, have been, you know, let's say five years ago, movies. But now that Netflix, now that this is an option, creators are instead making them shows. I mean, we were talking about Stranger Things, which is great. But I honestly think, like, take... Think of that film. Think of before streaming. I do not think the creators would have made that a show because it's not episodic. I I think that they would have made that a film, right? Just in the production style. And I don't know if they would have got support for a show. I think people would have said you should go for a film just in the style that it is. And so we're seeing creators bringing content instead of to, you know, the big screen 
film-wise, they're bringing it to streaming services. And, I mean, we're even seeing, you know, straight-to-streaming films made for these websites. And, I mean, we were seeing this, we've been seeing this for a bit now since the rise of Netflix, but I feel like this year with kind of the the series they're putting out, the movies they're putting out, it's stronger than ever. And that's just, you know, technology is always evolving. But I'm kind of, I'm not unpleased to see this when it comes to these narratives that we're seeing what could be, you know, four-hour movies that they're now allowed to make because they can just split them up arbitrarily into episodes and say this is a TV show instead of this is a really, really, really long movie you're going to spend, like, six hours of your life watching. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. It seemed like in the early 2000s, that was sort of HBO shtick. They would make yeah. their uh, limited series, mini series, things like that, uh, where you, that's where you would get to see movie actors do TV. And even then, I feel like there was a bit of an elitism there. Not like elitism, but it wasn't like everyone had HBO, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a super common thing to to have. It was like these were kind of like the critical acclaim shows that are being made for HBO. And I feel like there's just something more accessible about this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And there would only ever be like one or two really popular ones in a year. Yeah. And that, you know, by the time the Golden Globes and Emmys came around, you would uh, you would hear about what miniseries ended up with all the nominations. Yeah. But now it seems like there's one a month. Yeah. That and you like need to see. And different genres and different audiences. Because I feel like HBO did kind of have this specific HBO audience. You knew what kind of things they were putting out. And I feel like Netflix and, you know, other Amazon starting new original series. And we're seeing more varied content. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I, I think this past year, something that I became really obsessed with was the website Letterboxd. Have you ever heard of that? No, I'm looking it up right now. I am obsessed with it. Uh, letter box with a D at the end. Uh, it's basically a way to catalog your movie watching habits. Um, so you can kind of, you, you can input what movies you're watching. You can keep a little diary about it, like a little mini review about oh, it. Oh, this is awesome. Things like that. Uh, and you can also create your own lists. So, uh, to simplify things, every time I saw a movie from 2016, I would rate it. And then open up my list of 2016 movies and input it. So I already know exactly what my number one movie of the year is as of right now. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And then it's really great. It seems like it's a pretty popular website with film critics. So to kind of keep track of what your favorite film critics are are watching, not just necessarily for their work, but also what they're watching for fun and what their thoughts are on it. Uh, I think it's really fascinating and interesting. Uh, and then you can have a dialogue with these people by leaving comments on their reviews and things like that. And there's definitely a lot of interaction between big film nerds. And I've just been absolutely obsessed with it it's been so fantastic that's so cool i think especially because you're mentioning that critics use this site because i mean we talked like we talked in a previous episode we had an episode um that everyone should watch if you haven't seen it yet talking about tiff um Mm -hmm. and we had some talk about how a difference between let's say tiff and can is kind of like this feeling of the public and the critics coming together and it being more of an equal playing field. And I love to see that. I love to see, you know, be it a festival or a platform like this that makes it, you know, it's not like critics are up here and uh, the common viewer is down here. There is a dialogue happening. So I think this is so cool. And I'm looking at it now and I think I'm going to sign up because that's awesome. You totally should because then I'll be able to stalk your viewing habits. <laughs> 
Don't even need to tell your recommendations. You can see them as it happens. Right. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to link um, what my my top list is looking right now. I think I've got about thirty five movies from last year that I've seen. Nice. Mm-hmm. And I've already Solid started my number. 2017 list by adding one movie. I put pa- Patriot's Day in there because I went and saw a press screening of that. You love that movie so much. Everyone should go and read Dakota's review of that movie. That's <laughs> what he thought of Patriot's Day. <laughs> I take uh, it you saw it then. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Was, was I a little too harsh on it? I mean, I don't know because I have yet to see the film, but I definitely read your review. <laughs> <laughs> well good good um all right i have one more point but do you have any others that you want to talk about or, or was don't, that, don't. you don't Let's okay then it. i'll just go into mine uh one of my favorite up-and-coming film directors of the last few years has been jeff nichols and this year he put out two <gasps> films and both of them him. were so different and so interesting while midnight special i thought Really had some issues, especially towards the end. They kind of dropped a lot of the plot points. I was uh, wondering because I didn't see it. It was, it was, it's really good. Like, if you like Jeff Nichols' work, uh, if you like Michael Shannon's acting, um, then it's definitely worth checking out, especially okay. as far as like an original sort of sci fi drama goes. Yeah. It's fantastic. And then, of course, he also did Loving, okay. which might be one of my, my favorite movies of the year. It, it, it's just barely in my top 10 list, but like that's that's one that I'm definitely going to cherish. And it is, and it is a bit of a departure from him for mm-hmm. him. I mean, because he's done a lot of original content, but it does tend to slant. I mean, I wouldn't say that Mud is a dark film, but it does tend to be, you know, a little bit weirder. Like Midnight Special is because it's kind of sci-fi. You have Cake Shelter, which, which is almost is kind a horror of, movie. Oh, that was that was a straight up horror movie. I think kind of like a genre bending horror movie and kind of its slower paced, almost Hitchcockian elements. But anyway, you're right. He he's a great. I also he's also one of my favorites. And I do think that Loving, fantastic film, is a really interesting example of possibly like a next phase for him. Because Loving was also a little bit, I would say, more of a, um, a movie set up for you know, a wider audience mm-hmm. than most of his films are. So I wonder if now, you know, we're going to start seeing him in, you know, a lot of in theaters and major theaters. We're going to start seeing Jeff Nichols popping up more. Yeah, if if that means, you know, more Michael Shannon, too, then I am all for it. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> uh, okay, um, so that was sort of our, our thoughts on, on stuff that was going on in the past year. Uh, but do you have any maybe overarching things that you learned from this year or things that you have you know, plans for as a viewer for next for this year, I guess, 2017? Well, I think so. I'm definitely going to sign up for this website because it's very cool. But I've actually started a film notebook film notebook a little by hand old-fashioned film notebook where i write down the date and the title of the film every time i watch it so i can kind of have this nice little document and i'm kind of hoping that i can do this every year and i can have this huge line of notebooks on my shelves of all of these films and what i thought of them that i've watched over the year so that's going to be a hope of mine i mean i could say like i'm going to try to watch a film of week but i know i'm going to watch about three i don't really need to try to watch more movies because i already watch an excessive amount but i do think i'm going to try to watch um more varied movies i mean i'm already pretty varied but i think i'm going to try to suppress any sort of film snobbish snobbishness inside me which sometimes i feel like it sometimes does poke out i sometimes see a movie advertised and i'm like oh i'm not gonna see that you know it looks a little like a lot of the films in the top 10 list 
um, in the top box office list, I mean. I didn't see because I was like, oh, you know, like, a lot of these, a lot of the superhero narratives, I'm kind of like, oh, I'm a little done with that. But I think I'm going to open my mind, right? Because movies, no matter what, the the genre, they can be fantastic and surprise you. I think that's very smart of you. Sometimes I I think I'm pretty careful with what I watch, and I'm very rarely utterly disappointed by a movie. Um, but sometimes it takes watching a bad movie to remember what good what makes a good movie good. Agreed. Agreed. Because you almost take for granted, wow, this story actually connected all the plot points, and yeah. the editing was smooth, and the acting all around was good. And you yeah. you think all movies are like that, and then you watch something terrible, and you realize, oh, wow, movies are hard to make. I agree. And I'm I'm actually going to throw something in really quickly, going back to trends before you say your okay. film goals for the next year. Because while we're saying this, I'm realizing another thing that I've noticed, it's been happening for years, but I think especially this year, is that the public is being more vocal about the fact that they want better movies. And not just better movies, but, like, they're, the public isn't stupid, right? I mean, we saw, you know, not this year, but Stonewall, for example, came out. And everyone was, and everyone said, you know, this is ridiculous. This isn't what happened. You know, you're saying that this white guy did it all and they didn't. This is ridiculous. We don't want this. Um, and, now, even if you throw, you know, some fancy actors on it, let's look at the film Passengers. So Passengers is this film. You have your um, Chris Pratt, who everyone loves, and Jennifer Lawrence, who everyone loves, in space. Everyone loves space. But basically, the movie is an advertisement for Stockholm Syndrome, and it's super problematic. You can go on any website and read about this. I will probably end up, you know, if I end up sitting down and watching this, I'll write something about it. But it really is quite an awful film. Um, and people were very vocal about that. You know, people said, this is awful. You know, you can't hide behind these fancy actors and actresses and think we're not going to realize that this is a bad and also problematic script. And I think we're just seeing more and more. The public isn't stupid. The viewing public is not stupid. They want good quality narratives, and they're not going to just sit back and take whatever, you know, big, big companies and corporations feed them because there's a nice face on it. They want, they want it to be good. That's a good point. Um, uh, all right. So my, um, sort of my thing that I, not necessarily I learned, but definitely it's something that I want to be more cognizant about for next year is, uh, is I want to be able to, I want to make sure I'm watching more female directed films this year. Mm. I only really watched certain women, which was, um, Oh wow. I'm blanking on her name. Um, I can't remember who directed that. Oh, Kelly Reichert is her name. And mm. The Fits, which was uh, directed by a woman named Anna Rose Helmer. Homer. Um, and so those were the only two. Out of 35 movies, that's that's not very much. And, it's and not obviously, very, yeah. um, Obviously, there are less female directors, just the way the business, unfortunately, sort of works. But, you know, it also should be on me for searching out and watching them when they do come out. Yeah, and there's a lot this year, like coming out in 2017, we have a lot of really interesting narratives. So I think that's something cool to strive for. One of them that I've been seeing a lot about, just to throw one out, there's this film that screened at TIFF and it got a lot of press because ambulances were brought in. It's called Raw, and it was written and directed by Julia Ducournau, I think is how you pronounce it. 
And it's about um, a girl who comes from a family of um, veterinarians and vegetarians. And she goes to veterinary college. And in this hazing ritual, she has to eat raw meat. And it kind of awakens something inside her. Um, and that's a horror movie. And we also don't see a whole lot of representation of female creators in the horror genre. But aside from that, there's a lot of others. You have Their Finest, which was written by a woman. You have, you know, Wonder Woman, directed by a woman. You know, comedies like Snatch, the Amy Schumer film. So I definitely think this is a good year to take that on. And there's a lot of opportunity for it. Mm -hmm. There's a couple still from this year that I haven't caught up with that I want to. uh, The documentary 13th, which is uh, directed Mm. by Ava DuVernay, who did Selma. And also Edge of Seventeen. Uh, the Haley Steinfeld movie, which yeah. apparently got really good reviews that I'm looking yeah. forward to checking out too. So it's just something being more aware of and, and trying to seek these out because they're, they're not going to be in the top 10 high grossing movies no, of the not. year. So it's definitely something I need to be more aware of personally. I think that's something good to be aware of. Thank you. <laughs> um, were there any older movies this year that you watched for the first time that, that really impressed you and left a mark? Just at the tail end tail end of 2016 um i saw a film which is now one of my favorites which is the long good friday have you ever seen that movie what's it called the long good friday the long good friday never heard of it it's a 1980 film oh dakota you have to see it so it's kind of um bob hoskins first really name making film also has helen mirren it's kind of a british gangster film but it's Oh, it's fantastic. So yeah, I saw my father. My father is big into film too. So we sat down and he said, you have to see this film. And it's Bob Hoskins plays this fan, just a wonderful performance as this figure in charge of, you know, a quote unquote organization. And he kind of watches things fall apart around him. You know, there's been peace where he lives in London for quite a while under his organization's rule and things start falling apart And he's left to pick up the pieces, find out what's happening, find out who's sabotaging him, you know, killing these people within his organization. And the acting is just phenomenal. Just phenomenal from Bob Hoskins, particularly also from Helen Mirren, a young Helen Mirren. And I'm just, I'm very happy that I, that I caught it because it's just wonderful. And I, and I hadn't heard of it either. And I'm surprised more people haven't because particularly for Bob Hoskins it is just a marvelous performance. (laughs) Okay, yeah. I will definitely be on the lookout for that. Wow. Please do. How about you, Dakota? Um, I I love older movies. Um, I, so it's kind of hard to narrow it down. I I've narrowed it down to 3. Um, okay. I'm really big into uh noir films. Mm-hmm. So two that I saw was I finally got around to seeing uh the Stanley Kubrick film The Killing. Oh, nice. Which I liked it. I wasn't super crazy about it, but I, I, you know, I'm a big Stanley Kubrick fan. It's kind of nice to see his flourishes and the fact that the Miss movie was a direct influence on Quentin Tarantino for films like Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. Uh, so I, so it was really nice to see sort of where the influence for him came from. Definitely. It's nice to see inspiration. Mm-hmm. And then another noir film was one called The Asphalt Jungle, which I thought was, hmm. was really fascinating. I'm going to bring that.
that up. It's a uh, it's a movie that that stars Sterling Hayden, who okay. is an actor who never really properly got his due. A uh, bit of a sort of a tough guy who had a, a nice sensitive side to him. But this was a John Huston movie uh, that when it came out, it wasn't really that well received. But it, it's definitely grown in stature since then as being a, a pretty iconic noir film. And it's got one of Marilyn Monroe's very first parts, and she's actually really wow. good in this. Um, she plays the girlfriend of, of an older man in this. Um, I'm surprised that for that reason alone, it's not more known about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's got a pretty good cast. Uh, it's interesting. In a lot of the posters and things like that, you'll actually see Marilyn Monroe on the cover, but she's only in like two scenes. Oh, but they advertised hard with this beautiful Marilyn Monroe. That's mm-hmm. smart. Um, so that's kind of interesting and then the last one um, we kind of were talking about it earlier this year last year when uh, we did our Halloween stuff for me would be uh, the original Frankenstein movie oh nice yeah oh it's interesting because reading about the Frankenstein films everyone seems to always rate Bride of Frankenstein as being superior in fact one of the best horror movies ever and I watched them both pretty much back to back and I hated Bride of Frankenstein I thought it really? was terrible um, they they recast a few of the key parts the the story just completely went out the window and got ridiculous whereas the original Frankenstein was so tender and beautiful and and I think all the all the actors in that were, were pretty fantastic wow well good to know mm-hmm Popular opinion isn't always right, I suppose. Maybe. Maybe I'm the one that's wrong, though. Who knows? Could be. <laughs> it is possible. It it's is very possible. possible. Um, all right. Uh, were there any disappointing films you saw this year? I have to say I mainly avoided the disappointing films. I think, you know, Suicide Squad I had hopes for. So I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed that that was mishandled. Passengers looked okay. Obviously, it was awful. So I think I'm pretty good with, you know, I, 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 luckily enough, I tend to see quite good movies. Something that I didn't, you know, it's not a bad movie, but I was expecting a little bit more, was I saw a tiff, I saw The Bad Batch. And The Bad Batch is kind of post-apocalyptic film, um, has to do with cannibals, um, and it was written and directed by Anna Lily Amirpour. And she is known um, largely for her film, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which was mm. critically acclaimed, lovely mm-hmm. film. So I was expecting quite a bit, and I didn't love it. I didn't love it. There were a lot of good elements of it. There was some good acting. It had um, Diego Luna in it, who's largely known from Game of Thrones. Um, and it had, as the key character, Suki Waterhouse, but something about it, I feel like there was a lot of ambition and ideas there that didn't necessarily come together in the most fulfilling way. So I think that that would be my biggest disappointment of the year. Not an awful film, but not as good as I had hoped and anticipated. Mm, okay. Uh, yeah, I haven't checked that one out, so maybe I'll avoid it then. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for me, there, there's two that really stuck out. You know, I thought Suicide Squad and Batman vs. Superman were terrible, but I didn't have high hopes for that. A movie that I did have high hopes for was one called Triple Nine, which was directed by John Hillcoat. And I absolutely loved his last two movies, uh, The Road with Viggo Mortensen, which everyone loved, and then yeah. Lawless, which kind of got mixed critical reception, but a movie that I really like. I think the aesthetic in that is fantastic. I think Tom Hardy gives a really strong performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went into Triple Nine being really excited for it, 
because I love the cast that's in it. Uh, it's got Casey Affleck, Chudel Ejiofor, Anthony Mackie, um, wow. Aaron Paul, Woody Harrelson, Kate Winslet, wow. Gal Gadot, Norman Reedus, Michael K. Williams. That's a stacked cast. Yeah, but the movie was terrible. Oh, terrible. No. Like the, the, the premise just went down the drain so quickly about a, a, a group of corrupt cops who are doing a robbery and then they have to kill one of their own in order to, to make a diversion. And it, it's kind of interesting and they've got some good themes going on, but it was just executed so poorly. And it seemed like half the actors were in one style of movie and the other half were in a different style of movie and they were all on different ranges. And it was just, whoa, way too awful. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one was American Pastoral, which was Ewan McGregor's directorial uh, debut. I had so much hope for that film. So did I. And I thought the trailer was really good. And Such a good trailer. And I think the poster is probably my favorite one of this year. Uh, but my gosh, that is a terrible movie. Yeah, I, I didn't. So I didn't see it myself um because it was you know it came for tiff and i was like oh i think i'll probably see this film you know the trailer is amazing like talk about honestly people who make trailers are not given enough credit because they are pieces of art that was a piece of art and then you know reviews just came back just awful Mm -hmm. so disappointing and i had such high hope for that and i mean the actor the actors and actresses in the film you know you would assume to be very good and very competent but Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ewan McGregor wasn't very good in it. Jennifer Connelly was all right. Dakota Fanning was pretty bad in it. Um, it was, and his direction just seemed, he didn't know exactly what route he wanted to take and was not very focused. Uh, uh the I only thing. Like- Wait, continue. I was going to say the only nice thing I could say about it is Ewan McGregor made every terrible 1950s and 60s suit look fantastic on him. (laughs) I feel like, honestly, it's better to make a bad film where you're strong in your direction and idea than it is to make a bad film that's bad because it's muddled. It's always painful to see a film, and The Bad Batch was a little like that, where it's like the film doesn't quite know what it's trying to say or what direction it's going in. That, That always hurts. It's like... You know, there had there's some decision that was left out. There was some control that wasn't quite there. Yeah, it was a shame. I had I had not high hopes for it, but I, I was definitely looking forward to it. And I actually won tickets to go see Moonlight. And when I got there, uh, it was sold out. And they said, "Oh yeah, it's first come, first serve." And oh. So my fiance and I were at the theater and we're like, well, you want to just go see something else? I'm like, yeah, all right, let's see American Pastoral. You saw American Pastoral instead of Moonlight? And I still haven't seen Moonlight. That's such a sad trade-off. I know. It's very not nice of the I was so disappointed. To take you away from Moonlight and give you American Pastoral. Right? Ugh. Okay, well then, you know what? Let's let's not end this on a disappointing note. Uh, what are movies in 2017 up to about the summer movie season? Just because, you know, by the time you get to fall award season, it's so muddled. Things get pushed back yeah. all the time. Uh, what movies are you looking forward to seeing? Oh, so many. Let's go back and forth on this. So I feel like we'll have a few. So I'll say one, then you can say one. One of the ones that I'm very excited to, to see is a directorial debut from Jordan Peele of Keen Peele. Now, I'm not huge into horror. I'm really not. But I'm very excited to see Get Out. So now, it's a satirical horror film. don't know if everyone's heard of this. Um, where this black man, Chris, um, is visiting his white girlfriend's family estate for the first time. 
you know, something kind of bizarre seems to be going on. These people seem a little off. And then another African-American in town warns him to get out. And so it's this kind of strange, satirical, sinister thriller. And I, and I, everyone should really watch the trailer. I'm just so excited about it. It seems to have this really interesting commentary and it seems to have some sort of clear focus and know where it's going. And I feel like if it's done well, this could be like a classic. It just it just looks like it has so much potential. I, I'm not big into horror either. I saw the trailer and I was scared shitless. Right? And, but in this like wonderful way. Like it's not kind of like the typical jump horror. Yeah. It's like it's so sinister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll probably end up skipping it. But from what I've <laughs> I'll heard. I'll tell you how it is. I will yeah. tell you how it is. Please do. Uh, from what I have heard, it sounds like it's fantastic because there's been uh, a few private screenings and then um, I've, I've seen a few different people tweeting about it, talking about oh, how much they yeah. enjoyed it. And the actor, the lead in that um, guy named Daniel Kaluuya is yeah. really good. He was in Sicario, had a great job. He's in one episode oh. of Black Mirror in the original bunch. Oh my gosh, he is. Yeah. I was wondering if it was the same person. Oh man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's coming out on February 24th, so I want you to see that. Uh, All right, what's yours, Dakota? For me, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lump them together by saying uh, the Marvel movies. Um, yeah. Both Guardians of the Galaxy 2, uh, oh. Spider-Man Homecoming, and Thor Ragnarok. All three of nice. them I'm pretty excited for, and they all seem very different. But I mean Guardians of the Galaxy, though. I am so – that was such a – film for me that was another one that i feel like stepped out of genre conventions and oh am i excited for the second one Mm -hmm. and i think they they're really focusing a lot on the humor of what someone like uh drax uh the character played by uh dave batista uh does and i am looking forward to seeing more from him because he was a really pleasant surprise in the first one such a nice surprise i was not expecting that level from him you know they didn't just kind of like it wasn't like he never spoke and it wasn't like he didn't do much and just stood there to look like Drax. They really used him well and he did a really good job. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess on that lean, not next in order of coming out, but I am cautiously excited for Wonder Woman coming out on June 2nd because Gal Gadot is wonderful and I do like Chris Pine and it's Wonder Woman. And, you know, it's being directed by a woman which I'm very excited for. I might I have like to that's... force myself to see it. Yeah, to, to fit into your, <laughs> to fit into your, um, your resolution. Mm-hmm. But so I'm quite excited. I'm, I mean, the trailer looks pretty good, even though I know that it can be deceiving. You know, um, I think that, I think that there's potential and I really want to see it met. So my fingers are crossed and I'm remaining cautiously hopeful for Wonder Woman. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, I'll probably end up seeing it. I just feel it looks a little too close to Captain America First Avenger. The whole idea of going back to the World War II era, the fish out of water thing. Um, but I mean, I mean, fingers crossed. Oh, and before we move on, another, because it goes with the hero theme, is Logan. And Logan is coming out on March March 3rd. I am a big fan of the X-Men. It is one of my, um, my favorite things to kind of come out of, I mean, you know, Marvel period, but particularly when it comes to the films. And I mean, a lot of people are saying this looks like it could be the first Marvel movie to win an Oscar. People are saying it could be the first superhero movie to win an Oscar. And I mean, this trailer looks wonderful. It looks really wonderful. It's introducing a new important character 
to um, the franchise, which I'm not really going to go into too much because spoilers, but basically it takes place in this kind of seemingly apocalyptic, apocalyptic future, and he's embarking on an effort to protect a young mutant girl, and I'm just so interested by it. It seems like such a departure from the franchise, and I have high hope. I have high hope. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, I guess the next one I'll talk about a little bit are my uh, my sequel, quasi-sequel movies, are um, The New Blade Runner. I really yeah. love uh, Denise Villeneuve. Uh, every movie he has made so far that I've seen, there's a couple of his earlier French ones that I have not seen. Uh, I have seen Ensemble, though, um, has been absolutely amazing. And I really like the original Blade Runner. I'm apprehensive about them doing a sequel, but I will yeah. trust it being in Denise Villeneuve's hand. I trust it. Like, I, I, I will blindly go in. I agree. I'm definitely going to see this in theaters. I think it's interesting that you bring this up because it's almost similar to what you said about Wonder Woman, where it comes to like plot repeating. Because, and I think some people have said this about um, not Rogue One, but um, Force Awakens, where it seems to be the plot seems to be in some ways a rehash of previous Star Wars. I mean, the plot, at least the basics of the plot of the new movie, seems to be pretty much the same, you know, the LAPD officer, Blade Runner, cast with trying android replicants, goes on a quest to find someone, in this case, it's Harrison Ford, missing since the events of the last film. But yeah, I have hope, and it just looks beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I think I appreciate that the trailer uh, only showcases the atmosphere, and then a very brief scene interaction between Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford, which I appreciate that they're kind of keeping whatever the plot is under wraps, uh, as far as the trailer is concerned. Although I'm sure that was just a teaser, and we'll eventually get a more full-length trailer to kind of give us a bit more about it. But I think it's the type of intellectual property that uh, will people will come out sort of regardless the the sort of serious sci-fi geeks will kind That's of see right. it without caring what the plot is because yeah. bl the original Blade Runner is so beloved um, and then my other quasi sequel is War for the Planet of the Apes I've really enjoyed uh, the first two sort of remake rehash prequel whatever you want to call it uh, Planet of the Apes movies uh, and this one should be no exception I agree. They've been handled quite well. I, I, I remember hearing that they were doing a reboot and kind of laughing because Planet of the Apes is Planet of the Apes and it's just been handled well. So I can definitely see that being a strong movie, hopefully. My last one that I'm excited for would be The Dark Tower from the oh, yeah. in July. Yeah, so it's, for those who don't know, it's an adaptation of Stephen King's famed Dark Tower series. It's kind of set in this mythical place called Midworld. It's kind of like a magical spin on maybe a Western. Um, and Idris Elba has been cast. He's the star, and he's very exciting. Matthew McConaughey is playing the film's villain. I feel like that's an interesting pairing. And I actually haven't read the books yet, had been meaning to, and am actually considering not reading them until I see this movie because I'm so excited about the movie. It looks really good. The casting is really interesting. I'm, I have high hopes. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know what to think about it. I never read the books. I know that the fans of the books are super hardcore. Super hardcore. So that sort of worries me that it's going to be sort of bogged down by expectation and that there might be a little bit too much meddling going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but the director, he did Royal Affair, which was I thought was a fantastic movie. It won uh, Best Foreign Film at the Oscars back in, in 2013, I believe it was, um, that everyone should check out because it features uh, Mads Mikkelsen, who everyone loves, oh, but also Alicia Vikander just before she really broke out. Oh, nice. Who I adore. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I love Idris Elba. And lately, McConaughey can do no wrong. So, hey, maybe it's maybe it's worth it. Maybe it is. Uh, and then my real last one is a movie called Baby Driver, which is the brand new uh, Edgar Wright movie. I Edgar Wright is probably one of my favorite directors. I've, I've got a whole bunch, a big list of favorite directors, but he's definitely up there as well. Uh, I think he's just got such a creative flourish uh, and charm to his storytelling that he, he just sort of suits my sensibility so well. Um, and it's They've been very minimal about what it's actually about, but it has something to do with uh, a getaway driver uh, after a, a heist that's gone wrong. That's basically all we really know about it, but the cast in it is all fantastic. And, you know, maybe much like Triple Nine, large, famous A-lister cast don't always work out. I sort of trust um, in Edgar Wright, but it's got John Hamm, John Bernthal, Kevin Spacey, Jamie Foxx, Ansel Elgort, um, and a whole bunch of other people as well that uh, definitely has me excited. The only thing is, I don't think uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are in this, which mm-hmm. worries me, but, but I trust it but. because I love Scott Pilgrim and neither of them were in that. Gotta say... I'm kind of, I'm silent here because I didn't realize that it was an Edgar Wright movie. Didn't know he had a new movie coming out. I'm kind of trying to stay calm because he is one of my very favorites. So, oh my goodness, I am also excited for (laughs) Baby Driver. I remember seeing it and seeing that it was some like Ansel Elgort film and kind of dismissing it. Oh my goodness, it's an Edgar Wright film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he handled Scott Pilgrim so well. Still had his aesthetic and sensibility even without... Um, his beautiful classic actors. So, wow, I am also excited to see what comes of this. I hate how people dismiss Scott Pilgrim because it's uh, one of my favorite movies. It's so, it's so wonderful. I mean, you could just, that's one of those films that I feel like could be analyzed for hours, right? Just the little, like, something that a lot of people talk about is they'll be on the bus and the lights will come through and there will be like, little hearts in the lights and just I, I don't know tiny details Edgar Wright is fantastic I'm also excited for baby driver yeah <laughs> good I'm glad I excited you with that pick then yes uh that about wraps it up for for thing for for that do you have any other films or was that that it for you I think that is about it for me I am I am excited about what 2017 has to bring I think there's a lot of good stuff coming about so fingers crossed I suppose that despite whatever else happens this year film can be something that we will rely on (laughs) question mark question mark that's about i guess as hopeful as you can get right yeah i think so all right. Well, uh, if you go to liveandlimbo.com, there will be links to uh, Andreas's list of films and performances. 
We'll include the list of the top grossing movies, some other stuff that we talked about, uh, including Letterbox. Um, and maybe I'll include a couple trailers for upcoming movies that, uh, that you and I said that we're looking forward to if, if those trailers are out. Um, so make sure you follow Live and Limbo on Twitter. Uh, you can follow myself at DGAPA. Please uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. If you can rate and review, that'd be awesome as well. Um, so once again, on behalf of myself and my brand new co-host, Rachel, thank you so much for listening.